Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Clayton Ferry, and we have with us Mark Sankey and Rich Fish. In today's podcast, we will be discussing IoT versus dedicated in-house networks. So to get started, I thought I'd ask a very broad question, and that is for our listeners, if they don't know, what is IoT? IoT, abbreviation for the Internet of Things, okay a buzzword or a buzz term that we obviously have all started hearing a lot about in the last few years is it's really a, a system of interrelated computing devices that are connected via a number of different ways in order to work together, accomplish a number of different tasks, anything from automation to security to lighting. In the smart home, it gets into even ordering your groceries or your household supplies. Essentially, the convergence of all the different technologies that are, you know, permeating our lives in both the home, the commercial, the institutional, and the industrial world. Things like, you know, I mean, your smartphone really is part of an IoT device. It's getting then, in, you know, distributing into sensors and uh, control devices, cameras, uh, so many things, and all of that having a means of communicating directly to each other and providing data that they can act upon as well as data that can be then you know pushed up through uh, whatever layers to uh, you know a cloud-based server or a local-based server. Mark, your thoughts? So I am not a protagonist of IoT for a variety of reasons that we'll probably get into in the next session, but that is entirely correct. You know, the advantages of IoT come down to the flexibility of basically adding devices, uh, controllers, et cetera, and immediately having access to large buckets of data in a very short period of time and on a regular basis in a consistent manner. And I'm all for that, but there are also a number of alternative methods to accomplish the, in my opinion, to accomplish the same things. And IoT has promoted fairly radical shift in BMS system design, again, with the requirement being that the engineering firm or the you know design engineer the design designer of record have a very complete understanding not only of the uh, mechanical systems or and or other devices lighting uh, etc to be integrated using IOT or brought in on, on a uh, on the network but also the underpinnings of security management and the requirement for compartmentalizing the building, the data, et cetera, resulting from the IoT network. Interesting kind of history tidbit. Obviously, in, in our BMS world, we've been hearing you know a lot about IoT and actually marketing aspects of our systems as IoT capable. Looking back, just to kind of re-educate myself on where some of this stuff came from, it was interesting to note that the actual first smart device was a modified Coca-Cola vending machine at Carnegie Mellon University in 1982, where it was able to report its inventory and whether or not drinks were cold, which was fascinating to me to understand that it went back that far. 
Uh, I mean, that was back before smartphones or any of the stuff that we now take for granted today. And I can imagine, you know, back then, a lot of people thought, why, why would we need all of this information when somebody can go look at it or maybe it doesn't matter so much. And now everybody wants all of the information they can get from anything. Well, and that is a, a true visionary application because, I mean, you go back to 1982, there weren't even laptop PCs. I think I got my first portable PC in 83 or 84, and it was, it was the size of a suitcase. And it had a six-inch CRT on it, green and black monitor uh, with five-and-a-quarter-inch floppy disks. So there was no internet. There were, per se, there was dial-up modems. But to say, okay, now we can, you know, look way into the future. And I say way into the future, I mean, to an application that had never been identified as a need being. I mean, there's obviously a need there, but... Uh, not a mechanism to meet that need and say, we want to monitor inventory and quality of a product in a vending machine. That's pretty impressive. So going back to IoT kind of in regards to BMS networks, again, a pretty broad question. And I did my research prior to this, obviously. And I want to ask what makes a device IoT capable? Like in my mind, that could be a battery power temperature sensor that communicates, or it could be a controller that has a, a still a boatload of things wired to it. And that controller talks back to the internet. And is it, do they use Bluetooth? Do they, do they use Wi-Fi, internet? I mean, a lot of stuff. A number, uh, essentially almost all of those things that you just mentioned are means of communication for a device to become IoT capable. In, in reality, it's, I guess there's pretty much like three layers of IoT as far as breaking it down. The device layer, which is that device you just mentioned, you know, a thermostat or could be an actuator. Any remote device that is the end of the point where you're getting information back. And then however that communicates via a number of different methods to an edge device and then from that edge device through um, whatever connection to the cloud essentially is the simple three-layer structure of IoT. So those different means of communicating from Bluetooth to Zigbee to you know just standard IEEE 802.11 Wi-Fi into uh, even some of the RFID, a number of different ways that they can communicate, Clayton. Well, that makes sense too. Like I said, it was almost overwhelming when I was doing my my homework on this. Like, holy cow, this it could be. IoT is just extremely broad. You could have it for almost anything. It seems like. So that was uh, interesting going through all of that. And then in regards to again building management systems and legacy software, we'll call it. So if there's a facility that has I don't know an old DDC control system in it and they want to upgrade that obviously iot is going to be a consideration for a multitude of reasons but and you're probably going to go ahead and tell me it's specific to each situation but what are the integration capabilities with legacy softwares for iot again really it's a case-by-case basis i mean there are legacy softwares out there right now that are 
you know, working off of a web server. And if they are working off of a web server and have communication capabilities to talk to IoT devices, they could certainly integrate in. Not all legacy systems are web-based and not all of them have a toolbox of communication technologies to select from. A lot of them are limited to, you know, hardwired uh, Ethernet connection and or, you know, sub-network like an RS-485 connection. But almost everyone is moving into the, the web standards, which open a lot of those different short-range, medium-range, and long-range type of non-wired communication. I mean, if we look at short-range, which is probably what we're going to be most interested in in a BMS-type application, though in some applications uh, like that we're familiar with, with some of the outdoor sensors in the gunfire detection, you get into medium-range or long-range wireless there. But if we talk specifically about what we're most interested in in a BMS, you're looking at Bluetooth, RFID, Wi-Fi, uh, Zigbee as probably the most common ones that we'll see in an application in a building for a building management system. And Bluetooth is, you know, pretty short range, supports not only device communication, but also communication to the, the end user or you know, via cell phone, tablet, you know, whatever device that they may be accessing through. Wi-Fi obviously communicates back into enterprise networks as well as dedicated you know, BMS networks. And Zigbee primarily, in, at least in my experience of application, is more of a sensor network getting the, you know, from remote wireless sensing devices back to an edge device and then getting that into the web-based system from there for whatever the BMS is utilizing those computationally for. Like when you say short range, what, what do you mean by short range? Like a, a foot distance, you know, this can, or. No, I mean, Zigbee is a mesh network that allows basically each sensor to act as a repeater. And it, it's truly based on the construction density of the building in which the sensor network is installed. But I think the claim distance is around 150 feet. And that's between sensors and then obviously to your end device, another 150 feet. So, but that's an ideal situation. We've seen some installations in some very dense buildings with concrete walls, correctional facilities that the distances were significantly shortened based on that construction density. I just wanted to go back quickly though and expand a little bit on what Rich said about systems that are currently IOT. And I think they're almost hybridized systems where even the project that we just finished, it's a complete standalone control system, but it's also serving up data to the cloud. And it's also getting data from the internet as far as weather for forecasting and adapting to weather conditions on a more proactive basis versus responsive basis. So there, there are all kinds of systems that at some point or another become internet capable internet servers and clients uh, for and from data on the internet, whether it be actual cloud data or completely remote data with supplemental data from the, from the internet. So you're saying even though this facility has, everything is hardwired, but at the, at the head end, 
it connects to the internet, it could be quote unquote, somewhat IOT capable. That's absolutely correct. You know, not only for like current weather conditions for making choices about what you're doing with heating and cooling systems within a building, but also weather emergencies that, that may affect safety within a building as far as what the occupants are supposed to do with the weather emergency and how that can be brought in through that IOT connection and into building systems to alert those people in various different ways. And even going back to your point about, you know, integration capabilities with legacy software, IOT is expanding the number of, you know, basically internet or IP addressable devices so rapidly that we're moving from the internet protocol version four, which allowed, I think, for about roughly 4.3 billion devices to be addressed to the internet uh, protocol version six or short IPv6, which is like two to the 128th power devices. I can't even say the number, it's so big, but we've actually been pushed past 4.3 billion devices because the ratio of devices (laughs) to people has grown so dramatically that that number, we hit that number limitation. And legacy systems, often web-based systems, are constrained by what internet protocol version they support. If they only support IPv4, they're going to be limited on how much you can, you know, how much IoT you can bring in. And we're seeing BMS systems now moving towards support of IPv6 to be able to take that massive capability of all these IoT devices and be able to address them accordingly. And that's kind of geared towards, as a society, people just want to gather as much information as they can to do whatever they need to do with it, pretty much. They can IoT sense, seems like almost anything in a facility or in the world. So if they can do it, they want to know about it. Well, they want everything from their Nest thermostat to their ring doorbell to their cooking, their kitchen devices. They can start dinner when they want. They can open and close doors. I mean, all those things are all IoT devices. And, you know, as Rich said, the more things you stuff into smart homes, smart buildings, the larger the population becomes and the higher the data requirement becomes. I wish I could find it. I should have actually made a note and written it down on the uh, the ratio of people to smart devices and how it has exponentially changed in such a short period of time. I think it was some, you know, 10 years ago, it was like 0.08 devices, smart devices to a person to now where it's like 1.84 smart devices to a person as far as the planet's population. Well, and and Rich, there's only about 50% of the world's population that have internet capability. So when you say 1.84, it's probably more like four or five per person. And in many respects, on a personal level, I'm a Neanderthal. I don't want the internet really doing too much for me, but I still have 
smart televisions. I still have uh, smart security systems, et cetera, et cetera. But beyond that, I try and limit it. But you almost have no choice in terms of remote monitoring, in terms of access to media, in terms of you know those kinds of things that are now becoming this they're requisite in your home. I mean, if you don't have a high-speed internet, you're basically hamstrung in terms of the technology that you can put in place, in terms of what you can see, in terms of what your children can do for homework, in terms of what you can do as a remote office or a remote uh, worker. I did actually come back across that data. So the number of connected things to people in 2003 was 0.08. In 2010, it was 1.84. So seven years, it made that exponential leap. Oh, and it's got to be on the same track. I mean, my house has 20, it's got to be 25 to 30 smart things in it. I mean, it's ridiculous. I know we're talking about that particular data came from 10 years ago. I mean, I don't even know if you can buy a non-smart TV now <laughs> or anything. I mean, everything's connected now. Refrigerators are connected now. People buy IoT refrigerators so they know when they need to buy groceries. And I'm like Mark too. I'm, you know, I'm an old school guy that uh, I don't, I, it, there's a lot of discomfort to me caused by all of this connection because I don't really want my phone asking me about my experience at a restaurant after I walk out of the restaurant. No. Or just when you have a conversation with your wife about something you want to buy and then you see it on, you know, your phone on the internet the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of weird. But in the energy management world, you know, in a building from the standpoint of taking advantage of all of this data being able to analyze it, being able to make decisions based on it. And we can talk about some of the various different systems that it affects, but it not only improves the efficiency of the building, it improves the occupant experience dramatically, particularly when you know an occupant can walk into an office building with these, these flex office buildings. And when they walk in, their phone tells them where they're working for the day alerts them, you know, about any events that may be going on in the building and where they're going to go for that event. If they move into a space, it turns on the air conditioning or heating or whatever environmentally in that space. So it's, it permeates a lot of the systems that in the past have been, for lack of a better term, dumber systems where you know somebody had to walk over to the thermostat and raise the set point or there had to be a fixed schedule that you know at 6 a.m we start and at 6 p.m we shut off the efficiency as far as energy with these types of complete interconnection dramatically improves uh, why uh, condition spaces when there's nobody in those spaces and that's kind of leads us to their our next topic of discussion, which is where can IoT play a role in BMS? Obviously, it can control mechanical equipment very well, but like you just said, you can add in so many other monitoring points to enhance that control. You could say from occupancy sensing to daylight harvesting for lights, air quality monitoring, there's a lot that adds into it with IoT. The integration of all those things really is much easier 
And certainly there's a lot of synergies to be gained between occupancy control and air quality monitoring and lighting control. And all those things were certainly doable using non-IoT applications, but become much easier as we start to use wireless sensors, as we start to use mesh networks, and as we start to use IoT devices. So at this point, there's really not an excuse for not integrating all of those systems to provide a high-performance building, high-performance control system, the exception of lack of skill set, lack of familiarity, discomfort with the design, et cetera. Yeah, and again, doing my homework, it seems like a lot of IoT devices can or are battery-powered, and that was something that concerned me in a way just because eventually the battery is going to die and somebody's going to have to go to it, change the battery. But the seems like the battery lifespan for some of these devices is in the seven to 10 year range. Yeah. Depending upon the type of device, Clayton, uh, when you're talking about simple things like an occupancy sensor or a temperature sensor, or, you know, even a, um, a, you know, a wireless light switch, those devices don't need to constantly report in in the digital type thing they only report when there's a change of state and even with the temperature the the, the power consumption is so low they can report on a regular basis you know every few minutes or whatever without consuming much power and you see a lot of the temperature sensors and some of the other things like occupancy sensors utilizing solar cells on them where they're actually powering or even keeping a battery charge, if there is a battery, off the light, you know, be it, the, be it artificial light or sunlight. Where you, there are types of sensors, though, that really they just they can't be battery-powered and last very long simply because of the technology required. And air quality monitoring is typically one of those. Humidity, CO2, those devices just require too much power that the batteries would never last very long. So often they still have to be wired from the sense of at least power is a minimum. Just a quick anecdote. We were just on a project where pretty high performance building in general, but the electrical contractor looked at the drawing, saw all the locations for the light switches and the lights, et cetera. I don't know how many hundreds of feet of conduit roughed in from switches to lights to occupancy sensors to everything else. And uh, when they were roughing in, I said, well, not my job to tell them what to do. But in the end, there was no wire between the switches and the uh, lights or the occupancy, occupancy sensors and the lights. All those conduits remain empty and all the switches and occupancy sensors are battery powered. And because of that type of, you know, being it just a, a digital state on or off, very low power consumption. So those batteries last, like Clayton mentioned, you know, seven years. And that was a kind of a concern of mine when I was looking into IoT is, man, a facility, you, you could employ someone, I thought, full time just changing batteries for things. But that's really not the case. So that was impressive to me that they can last that long. Even some of the light switches are, uh, you know, mechanically generate their power by the movement of the switch. So their signal is sent based on a mechanical power caused by you flipping the switch without even having a battery involved. 
That's impressive. It's like one of those uh, <laughs> flashlights you got to shake up to get them to work. So that leads us pretty well into our next topic of discussion as well as why IoT is beneficial. And we really covered a lot. I'd like to backstep just a little bit because I have observed and engaged in a few cases where uh, life safety systems are integrated with BMS and IoT devices. And, and a, as a cautionary statement, that's, that's thin ice. Basically, anytime you use a BMS as an interposing device between a life safety uh, signaling system and an action, for example, we're going to do HVAC shutdown, not direct wired to the HVAC systems, but by monitoring the security system or the, the fire alarm system through the BMS and using the BMS as the shutdown mechanism, the system in its entirety needs to be UL-864 listed, or it's a significant code violation. I haven't seen any codes in life safety yet that allow that to be done wirelessly. Oh, no, absolutely not. Obviously, as technology advances, in this, even in the last five years, the reliability, stability, and repeatability of these wireless-type devices and communication protocols have become much more reliable, but yet codes are, are not going that direction yet. I have not heard anybody talking code-wise of incorporating that kind of technology into the codes as acceptable when it comes to life safety. It, it is interesting, Rich, though. A recent project we were on, in uh, not in Pennsylvania, but in another state, allows all notification from the building to go through the E911 system, meaning that there is no requirement for a POTS line, a, a plain old telephone line, to go to the fire company or the 911 call. And all messaging can occur either via, via SMS or email to the 911 center. So the E911 system has supplanted the requirement for hard for a copper line. I have to imagine codes lag many years behind technology anyhow, just to completely vet it thoroughly before it becomes a standard or a code. And I don't think IoT is there yet. I would agree. One of the interesting things is, from my perspective, is that we have seen, you know, most of most of the systems that are running IoT are running a version of a Windows Server, and the frequency of Windows Server updates, from my perspective, is unbelievable. Basically, there are weekly updates, sometimes more frequently than weekly, uh, that need to be installed on Windows servers and and necessitating usually no interruption, but in some cases there's an interruption of data flow, an interruption of connectivity for the duration of that update. And those are typically centered around security updates. Correct. That's why I believe you're going to see, not to throw Microsoft under the bus, but I believe you're going to see more of these systems going to Linux-based operating systems because of the security situation associated with Windows-based servers. When you get into the cloud-based stuff, the you know the operating systems at the cloud are not typically running a Windows-based server. They're running something else like a Linux 
purely purely for not pure I should say not purely for security but also for speed and resource management Clayton I don't know how much exposure you've had I know Mark you know that windows based server systems are much more resource hungry than a linux based system is I did not know that oh but orders of magnitude hardware and software hmm very interesting so before we move on, I just want to maybe recap a little bit of our discussion and look at it from the, I don't know, you want to call it the 10,000 foot level. Why is IoT beneficial? And some of, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, obviously, is you're not paying to pull cable, right? But um, you guys want to recap some of the key points of benefits of IoT? In my mind, the overriding element is the synergies that you can achieve between disparate systems just by virtue of data connection versus a hardwire all i need to and potentially a translator a signal conditioner a who knows what it's much easier to exchange information once data is in a, a common database packet etc versus say oh i need to get information from this device and try and hardwire that you might have, you know, Modbus devices, you might have backnet devices, et cetera. But once you start to pull all that data into a common database, it's a, a much easier to share. That's for sure. than versus putting in hard box translators or software, virtual servers to do that translation. Which obviously getting away from those translators or, you know, the, the black box, that, that houses the magic code that does the translation, cuts down on software maintenance, cuts down on single points of failure. There's a lot of advantages that that brings that Mark is talking about when going into a common open database, talking a common language, things like you know the, the way the data is presented, the ability to do you know application interfaces to it because it's a common, data structure that, you know, it doesn't take a BMS guy to be able to understand that structure and write an application interface to it. Obviously, we're all becoming so used to apps now on our devices. And most of the time, those apps are communicating to whatever equipment out there in a building management system via a, a common industry standard open protocol that allows the development of that application interface or what we would call API. And going one step further, and I think we'll probably expand upon this in the next podcast, but the amount of data available using IOT is basically putting us in a position where we're talking about big data for buildings where now, instead of typically we specify in a BMS trends to be sampled at, a five minute interval. There's no reason with IOT that it can't be faster than that. There are conceivably events that occur within a five minute window that you may or may not catch based on that five minute sample. And with the amount of data that you can pull into a common database, there are uh, trends and micro trends that can be analyzed at that level that can provide insight into things that may be problematic or opportunities to reduce costs uh, or improve efficiency or improve process stability. 
et cetera, that you may not be able to capture using traditional BMS. Yeah. And it seems like you can, you can use AI to do some of that now with a lot of the IOT uh, trending available. So it may not even require a, a human to catch these Correct. anomalies in AI program can do that much more efficient and effectively than uh, your standard facility manager sitting at a computer looking at trends. Oh yeah. With the, with the cloud-based systems that are able to gather that massive amount of data and run, you know, algorithms that uh, utilize that AI to analyze and compare things that would take a technician pulling up a trend and looking at, you know, what's happening over a period of time and then trying to analyze what that means, that all being done now in the, the millisecond or even microsecond timeframe of the big cloud-based uh, analytic systems, it's a huge jump forward. So much more information and so much more timely results. Yeah. So with all of that said, and we talk about cloud, cloud-based things, and when I think about cloud-based anything, it basically tells me it's there's a monthly subscription you have to pay for. Is that the case with IoT? Is there a lot of recurring costs like that, like software as a service? Well, certainly utilizing some aspects of IoT will typically result in some type of software as a service. Utilizing cloud-based systems to do data analytics is commonly got a, you know, a monthly or, or an annual subscription rate. From a standpoint of just your, you know, IoT within a building for a building management system, that typically wouldn't require like a software as a service. I mean, you would have potentially annual software license agreements or software maintenance agreements, but that's not really like a monthly subscription cost. That's just, you know, maintaining the the version level or driver level of software as manufacturers release new patches or new versions. Right. So you're not kind of painting yourself into in a perpetual annual subscription by putting IoT in your building necessarily. If you want some of the more advanced stuff, that could be the case, but that's stuff you don't need. Correct. With so much moving to the cloud, I think software as a service is going to be much more prevalent it certainly is more prevalent now than it was, you know, five, 10 years ago. And it's probably going to continue to get more prevalent because of the advancing capabilities of AI and the advancing processing power that cloud-based solutions are providing. I mean, we look at just the massive amount of data centers that are being built around this country to handle all of that cloud computing and data storage all of that has cost and eventually that trickles down to the systems that are implemented and taking advantage of that power. Yeah, that's a very good point. So we've been spending a lot of time kind of discussing all of the benefits of IoT. Let's take a dive into maybe some of the risks you would consider utilizing IoT compared to your standard dedicated in-house BMS network. I think, like Mark said, uh, you know, our next podcast talking about uh, security is, uh, associated with it is probably the biggest risk. Right. 
and I don't know today uh, that we have time to really get deep in the weeds on the security side of it, but generally that's a risk. When you're getting into a lot of wireless type communication, you open up some risks as far as network management, wireless network communication conflicts. We've done some projects where there was utilization of a lot of wireless communication and the tenants that come into the building start setting up you know ad hoc wireless networks without any coordination or whatever with IT can oftentimes cause interference slow things down so there's a when you go to an IoT type smart building high performance building your IT management requirements are going to go up because you have so much more going on than you do with just a typical hardwired network where everything is using DHCP or or static IP, whatever it may be. Now you're bringing in all of these devices that are talking wirelessly and the potential for conflict with like ad hoc networks. Somebody, you know, sits down, powers up their laptop and in a meeting they set up an ad hoc network that could interfere with networks that are already in place. Well, that's correct, and and I think this this is especially true, even even not not even necessarily ad hoc networks, but especially as complexes get larger and larger, a college campus, a uh, municipal complex, etc. It is essential that IT is familiar with, has documentation for, and a clear understanding of what kinds of devices reside on the BMS network that may be completely in addition to the control panels, et cetera. And we've seen this uh, on a number of projects where we share a VLAN or we have a a unique VLAN and that isn't managed properly and uh, IP conflicts cause basically system-wide issues that take some significant troubleshooting to be able to rectify. Yeah, IP conflicts seem like they would be with a poorly managed network could be a, a common occurrence that can cause a lot of problems that, like you said, are very hard to find. So the structure of your your main backbone too is important in even getting down to type of switch selection, managing, as Mark mentioned, you know, private VLANs and things associated with the system. When you go, you're going from those IOT devices that commonly are going to be wireless, but they, some of them can be wired as well. You're coming back to some backbone, right? That backbone, you know, is it the uh, enterprise backbone that the whole building uses? Is it a dedicated backbone to the, the BMS or, you know, any of the building automation systems? You know, how that, if they, if they're separate, how they interconnect for user access and dissemination of data connection to the cloud there's a lot of thought needs to go into that whole IT structure and how that's built to avoid those pitfalls that we just spoke about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from Rich, your opinion or Mark, your opinion, if there's a facility that wants to do a BMS upgrade and they want to utilize IOT, where do you draw the line with all of the 
all of the sensing you can do and all of the additional information you can gather. I don't know. It's a, again, it's a tough question to answer, but just looking to get your guys' opinions, where would you draw the line for how much information do we put on this IoT network to at least start? Well, again, everything starts with the owner's project requirements. So sit down, let's have a, a complete discussion with the stakeholders so that we can understand what's the intent, what's, what's the final intent. And from there you can work backwards. It may be, you know, I go back to the old adage, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. So right. I agree. Um, when we talk about BMS, let's, let's talk specifically about BMS. And if you want an, an IOT network for other devices, the vending machines, the coffee pots, the food service equipment, et cetera. Um, I would like to segregate that from the BMS to the extent possible and run a separate VLAN or backbone for the BMS, especially in the case of, of retrofits, because typically buildings that are going through a retrofit have, they, they look at a retrofit, a capital project as an opportunity to, put everything in that they possibly can because they don't know when the next opportunity will be to get capital funds to be able to upgrade in such a large scale manner. That said, it's important that they have some guidance from industry experts, uh, consultants, et cetera, that have familiarity with BMS, with IOT to be able to guide them so that they don't throw everything in that they may want without skillfully compartmentalizing or, or pack, packaging the system so that it operates as intended when we're finally complete. Yeah. And it seems like you could kind of get with so much data, you could almost get a little, uh, I don't know, a analysis paralysis, right? You could have so much going on and just, it could freeze you a little bit too much that you need. It goes back right to what Mark said, Clayton, having that, meeting with the stakeholders and understanding what they need and communicating to them the, the logistics of how they how to get that and what is too much that's going to overburden or or you know create that paralysis by over analysis situation yeah so rich i know you you touched on this topic before and i think it's good to just come back to it like the robustness of IoT. So they seem pretty robust, pretty stable. Obviously, I can imagine as technology improves, that is also going to improve. Is it, would you consider it pretty stable to utilize now in a facility? Um, I absolutely would when it's constructed correctly. Okay, yeah, that's a good point to make. It, you really have to, you have to put serious thought into your whole structure of your your network from the backbone down to the the edge devices out to the actual communicating sensor devices themselves. Building structure comes into play, type of building occupants. You may get a commercial office building, the one I was referencing earlier, you know, you built we build a structure based on uh, you know an empty building, not knowing what type of occupants are going to be in there and it's a multi-occupant building that might have you know 10 different companies in the building and some of them are lawyers some of them are accountants some of them are research and their use of 
networks that can interfere. I mean, you don't know until that occupant has leased the space what they're going to be doing. So building from the ground up with an understanding of how the facility is going to be utilized is important to correct, you know, correctly construct the network system. So you do have that stability, accuracy, you know, you're not constantly losing data packets and, you know, having conflicts on your network. And it gets down to, like I said before, in selection of hardware, you know, the right kind of switches, uh, routers, devices that are out on the edge that are gathering from the the actual individual sensors, you know, how that's pushed out, what type of wireless technologies, you know, Bluetooth is very short range, 802.11 Wi-Fi, you know, is a little better, Zigbee from, a, you know, getting a sensor from, you know, maybe 100 feet away or, or so getting that back. So very much you need to focus on building it right from the start. Well, and just to, to expand on that a little bit, the quality of the sensors is as good as any other commercial or industrial sensor, accuracy, et cetera. The Achilles heel is in the communications. So you protect the Achilles heel. Just because we expect to probably be more economical, the quality of the communications devices, the managed switches, the routers, if there is media installed, those are the places where we don't skimp. You can't skimp unless you want to be married to this thing forever. And it would be a bad marriage because you'll be forever trying to find the gremlins and the, the problems associated with using uh, low-cost communications elements. So I guess I have a question and maybe it, it's pretty relevant to what we're talking about now. So for instance, say I have a a temperature sensor, and it could be a space temperature sensor, discharge air temperature sensor, whatever it's sensing. I don't know. The standard way to diagnose a sensor is you have, you know, your wires that it's a, it could be a 2K thermistor, right? And you put it on. What's the resistance? What's that temperature reading mean? Is it going back to the controller, right? How does that work with an IoT device? How do you, how do you know the sensor's reading right? You know, you can go to it with a, another calibrated device, but I don't know. It just seems seems like diagnosis could be a lot harder for some basic things as well. Well, it, it is. Just think back to the project we just finished. There was no MMI, no hardwired MMI, uh, man-machine interface on the site. All the data we had uh, went to the cloud, came back. We, we got it on tablets, laptops, whatever. But the process is basically the same in comparison of a reference device to the device on site and comparing the values. Uh, that That's basically, uh, it wasn't IoT at the device level, but it was certainly IoT at the MMI level. Right. Well, that makes sense. Well, with that being said, I think we're going to wrap up our IoT conversation for today. Covered a lot of interesting topics. IoT is, it's a very, very, very broad subject seems like anything in a facility could be IoT. Uh, when you boil it down to building management, there are a lot of advantages that we talked about. And we also talked about some risks and disadvantages as well. So stay tuned. Our next episode is still going to be IoT based. In that episode, we'll be discussing a little bit more about the security 
risks associated with IoT. Thanks a lot, guys.